Turn to Matthew chapter 13. As we prepare for Holy Week next week, we have Palm Sunday, we have Good Friday, and we have Easter. We're going to look at a parable, a parable where Jesus tells us what to expect in this, in this interim after his death, burial, and resurrection to when he comes back. What are we supposed to expect? What should we expect out of this world, and how should that inform how we live our lives? Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. We're going to do the parable of the, 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 the wheat and the tares. That's King James language. Yours might say the parable of the weeds, whatever. It's a parable. Ma Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Now, the way I'm going to introduce this is this. When, COVID, when the COVID pandemic began, the way, mo the way many people worked changed. If you're in any kind of a semi-white-collar profession, the way you worked changed. Everything changed. Everyone went home. Everyone had to find a way to have good internet. Everyone got laptops, and everyone was working from home. And what was impossible became possible. But then, guess what? Then COVID started to go away. And then everyone wanted everyone to come back to work. And people who were used to working from home for two years got mad because they don't want to go back to work. They want to be able to wear pajamas and be comfortable and have a cat sit on your lap while you work and do important things. But now you have to go back to work and pretend to look professional. And it's just annoying because why can't we just continue the way it's been for the last two years? And I remember uh, like a year in, I was talking to the deputy commissioner who's directly over me, and she was saying, well, we're going to have a conversation about how this will work if we do it. And I'm thinking, how this will work? We're doing it, we're doing it right now. I mean, I'm having a convert. We're all talking from our own homes. We're working from home, having a discussion about whether this will work in the future when we all go back to the office. What's there to talk about? We're doing it right now. Right? Does that make sense to you guys? We're going to have a discussion about how it will work if we go back, but yet we're doing it now. But our agency doesn't want to allow everyone to work from home all the time. It's the agency had made a decision, and you have two choices at that point. Two choices, and there's a reason why I'm telling you this. Option number one, you can be very angry, be very frustrated, and be full of rage and misery. You can be a miserable person because it's not the way you want it to be. Well, guess what? That ain't going to change anything. But you can still choose to be miserable and angry because the reality is not what you want it to be. It doesn't matter that it could be that way, but it's not. It just isn't. And you either can be miserable or you can, ex option two, you can accept reality and then you can recalibrate your expectations and act accordingly. Which one are you going to choose? And there are people at work who've chosen both options, misery or, okay, this is reality. I guess I better accommodate myself. Now that's a small example, but let me, sh that same choice, I want to shift to a parallel realm where the stakes are infinitely higher. How should Christians think of Christ's kingdom in relationship to this world? Which is the really highfalutin way of saying, this world seems to have gone crazy, and what should the Christian reaction be? What should you, if you're, if you're a Christian, what, how should you think of the church, and this world, the relationship to this world. Should the church, should the Christian think of the Christian life in relationship to the world as a life of peaceful joy with a mission from the king of all creation? Or the other option, be angry and miserable and very frustrated all the time because the world is not perfect. Which one are you going to choose? Everyone knows what the right option is, but that's often not the option that we choose. And that's what this sermon has to teach us. 
We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Now, Jesus does something strange here. He tells the parable, and then there's a bunch of other stuff in between, and he doesn't explain the parable until toward the end of the chapter. So 24 to 30, and then verses 36 to 43. We're going to do, we're going to go through this in three steps. Number one, we'll talk about the passage. Number two, we're going to discuss three wrong ways to answer the question that I posed to you. And number three, I'll give a plea for you to do something about it. If you're a Christian here today, you can do something so those three wrong ways don't characterize you. You can do something about it. Will you do it? That's how we're going to end today. So let's pray and we'll take a look at this. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you guide us by your word and your spirit so that by your light we'd see the way we ought to go. And by your truth, we'd find freedom, and in your will, we'd find peace, not anger, not frustration, and not rage. Do all this so we'd be led into your truth and taught your will. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Parables. Jesus tells a lot of parables. I'm not going to go on for a long time and explain why. One reason Jesus tells parables is to screen out people who really aren't interested in listening to him. They're following him around for some sort of show because he does miracles and that's cool. And you follow around so you can see things. Jesus told parables to screen those people away so they'll just think he's strange and weird and they don't want to listen to these strange stories and they'll, they'll go away. They're not interested anymore. Mark chapter 4 talks about that. Another reason is because these are simple stories with allegorical meanings, simple stories that mean something deeper, and they stick in your mind because of the way they're told, and this is one of them. So we're pretty much going to read the passage, and I'll make a few comments. Jesus will interpret it for us, so there's not a lot for me to do on that end. And this is where it begins. Jesus told them another parable. He's talking to a whole bunch of people, not just his followers, but tons of people, a crowd. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. So remember, whatever else happens, the story's purpose is to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, then weeds also appeared. It's a simple agricultural story. You have a field, you have a guy who's going around planting seeds all over the rows, but then at nighttime, another guy who looks just like this guy. This is an actual photograph from the Facebook page, from the, the, from the, the game camera that was set up, image. Comes along at night and spreads other seed in the field. So now you have two different kinds of plants growing in the field, which is not what's supposed to happen, but that's reality. It's happened. So this field is a mixed bag. It's not a field full of good seed. It's a field full of two different kinds of seeds. It's all messed up. It's a mixed bag. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So two different kinds of grain. You have wheat, and then you have a bunch of pestilential weeds growing up as well. Not good, right? unhappiness abounds. Verse 27, the servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? The field's supposed to be good. What happened? An enemy has done this, he answered. 
The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? Like, should we go out there and rip all the weeds up so we have a nice pure field full of good, good plants? But the landowner said, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds, tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. So this is meant to be a simple story, but has a deeper meaning. And Jesus told these kind of stories all the time. What on earth does this mean? What does this mean? What's the field? Who's the, who's the farmer? What's the good seed? What's the bad seed? What's he trying to get across here? Or is he just telling little riddles? Jesus left the crowds. I'm going to, so I'm going to skip down to verse 36. There's some other parables. He tells them all in a row, but when they go somewhere else, the disciples who came with him, they want to know about this one. So they asked him in verse Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So they know it's not really about this little story. There's something deeper. They want to know, what is it? And Jesus interprets this for us. And I have a little diagram on the screen that will help us figure this out. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the son of man, which is an Old Testament phrase to refer to Jesus. So Jesus says, I'm the guy, I'm going around, and I'm planting seed. So who's the farmer? Jesus is the farmer. Okay. The field is the world. So the world, everything in this world, everything in this world, not just our church, not just that church across the street, not the American church, not even any church. It's the world, every single thing in the world. This entire planet, like the planet Earth, is the field. Some people like to think that, Je that the field is the church, but that's not what Jesus said. He says the field is the world, everything in this world. That's the field. Who's the farmer? Jesus is the farmer. The good seeds are the children of the kingdom. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. So there's a, Jesus going around spreading seed and stuff grows. These are children of the kingdom. These are Jesus followers. He plants seed, Jesus followers spring up. But the weeds, remember the guy captured on the game camera? The weeds are the children of the evil one. You have two different kinds of children. Some born from Jesus, others born from the evil one. The enemy, in verse 39, the enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. Because remember, the people asked, let's just go rip up all the, let's rip up all the weeds. And Jesus said, no, just leave them. When it's harvest time, then we'll separate them. We'll separate it then. Just as people gather, in verse 40, just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. So what does this mean? The field is the world. That means the world is going to be a mixed bag because the field is, is a mixed bag. Good seed, bad seed. Good plants, weeds. They're all intermixed with each other and the whole thing is just a toxic mess. The whole thing is a mess. And what do the servants do? Jesus doesn't identify the servants and assign them any special meaning. But I want you to play along with me and pretend that we are the servants. The servants are confused. The farmer is supposed to know what he's doing, yet the weed's full of junk. 
Good stuff and junk. Is he not a good farmer? The servants, to flip back to verse 27, the servants, said, the servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? How is it that it has weeds? Like, there's a problem. The, the field should be pure. It should be, have all good seed, but why is all this here? Something's got to be done. But what does the landowner reply in verse 28? Is he surprised? Does he say, oh, I can't believe it. I never saw this coming. Great Scott. He just says, an enemy has done this. As a matter of factly, not even surprised, just an enemy has done this. And the servants are still, they're full of righteous indignation. They're outraged. They're like, well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this way. The field should be pure. We should we need to go out there and rip up everything that's not good seed so the field can be pure. We must make it pure. The servant said to him, do you want us to go out and gather them? But the landowner said, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. Don't go out and try and rip everything up and make the field pure. You'll just end up destroying it. It's going to stay this way a mixed bag until the harvest. The farmer is going to continue to spread seed, and the guy is going to come at nighttime and continue to spread seed, and it's just going to be that way until the harvest. Don't try and make it all pure because it's not going to be pure. Don't try and make the world pure because it's not going to be totally pure. To skip down to verse 41, this is where Jesus explains the, the, the force of what he's saying. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. Harvest will come, gather up all the weeds, meaning all the evil things in the world, and all the people who don't want to pledge allegiance to him. All the things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. They're all going to be gathered up one day. He'll throw them into a burning furnace, and people there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. And only then, only then, at the end of the present age, will the field be pure. Then, verse 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears to hear should hear. That means he wants us to really listen. That means he's not, it's not really, this is not really a cute children's story about a field. Only then, at the end, when the harvest comes, and all the weeds taken away, and there's nothing left but good seed, only then will the righteous shine like the sun in their father's kingdom, not being choked, not being obscured, not being stunted. Only then will the field be pure. That's the only time. And that's the passage. That's what Jesus says. But he says, those who have ears should hear. He's like, do you get what I'm saying to you? Do you understand? He's sort of going like, you do get it? There's something deeper here. What's he saying? What the parable is saying is good and evil are going to exist in this world side by side until Christ says it's harvest time. It's just going to be that way. That's the reality. You don't like the fact that telework's not being authorized? You can be miserable or you can deal with it because it's the reality you want ain't going to happen. What are you going to choose? Reality is this world will continue to be a mixed bag until Christ comes back. So what should we do with this? This could stay academic, you know, like a tidbit that's nice to know and is meaningless. 
I could tell you that RCW 4801040 is the definition of insurance, which might be interesting, I guess, but it means nothing to you. Who cares? What do you care? So this could, st I could just leave you with this and say, the world will be a mixed bag until Jesus returns. And you'll be like, that's nice, I guess, whatever. It's nothing to do with me, but it does have something to do with you. So let's ask, what does Jesus want us to do with this? What is, why does he say there was those who have ears to hear should hear? Jesus wants us to think about this world and his kingdom in a very particular way. He wants us to know what the reality is so that we can deal with it and not be frustrated all the time. So what do we do with it? The title of the sermon is Cosmic Risk because there are rules to the game of risk. And if you don't follow the rules, you're going to lose or be really, really frustrated because you keep losing. What are the rules that God has given us, that Christ has given us, so that we know how the game is going to be played from his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension until he comes back? We're, th we're there in this in-between time. How should we expect this world to be and the church to be in relation to the world as we wait? And if we don't follow his model, the model of reality he's given us, we're going to be really some really frustrated people. So I want to tell you three wrong ways that American evangelicals and us think about Christ's kingdom and its relationship with the world. Three wrong ways. They're dangerous, they're seductive, and they're very attractive, and they're everywhere. They're in our midst, they're on our phones, they're on our televisions, they're on our bookshelves. And I'm referring to cultural issues. I'm not talking about the genocide uh, during World War II. I'm not talking about the genocide in Ukraine. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about Hitler. I'm talking about cultural things that just go on in this world. In Amer for us in America in 2022. Three wrong ways to think about the church and the world. Jesus told us what we should expect, but there's three ways that are totally opposed to that that are very common. Three wrong ways. Wrong way number one is to be very angry. Rage against the world. To be angry at the world. And this happens when you have, there are Christian influencers in your life who do this, who do all three of these things. And I know they are because I know what some of you listen to and they're popular people and Christians just listen to them. And I'm not going to name any names because it'll be distracting and then you won't listen to anything I have to say because you love the person. So I'm not going to name names. I want you to think about the people, the pastors you listen to, the books you read, the people you follow, the Christian teachers you follow. I want you to think very carefully and very honestly about them. Wrong way number one is to be angry all the time at the world. Just angry at reality. Angry, angry, angry. What's this anger come from? The anger comes from not understanding the model Jesus gave us in this parable. The model that people who are angry all the time at the world and are constantly trying to tell you you need to be angry as well are people who have a model of the world should be pure because Jesus has come, but it's not pure, and that makes me really mad, and it's not right. But that's not the model Jesus gave us in the parable. What model did Jesus give us in the parable? The servants came and said, let's rip up all the weeds so we have a pure field. And Jesus said, no, it's going to be messed up until I come back, until the harvest. The angels will take care of the harvest, not you. Not you. But yet why are there so many Christian teachers going around who are angry at the way the world is? They're angry at sexual immorality. They're angry at different ideas, uh, unbiblical ideas about sexual ethics. They're angry about transgenderism. They're angry about many things. And many of them are things that God doesn't like. 
but instead, but their their whole their whole ethos, their whole vibe is anger. They're very angry because their model's all messed up. They think it should be the world should be pure, but it's not, and I'm mad about it. That's not the model Jesus gave us. Politicians operate by stoking fear and anger. It's how they raise money. Christian political activists do the same. It's how they raised money. I received a fundraising letter from a Christian organization in the mail on Thursday. It's how they raise money. It's how they gain followers. It's how they get clicks. Anger. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. God's word says this. It's outrageous. You need to be angry. I am fighting. We are fighting. Give us money. Give us money. These people whose outward face to the world, the Christian influencers who all of us know, who epitomize this rage against the world, they are not wise people. And that's, not, that's different than saying they're not smart and they're not educated. You can be really smart, you can be really educated, and you can still not be wise. If you let these people influence your life and influence the shape of your Christian life, they will poison your life, and you will be angry too, because they're angry. Instead of trying to make a fake model work, when Jesus told us it ain't going to happen, it's going to be a mixed bag of a field until the harvest time. The harvest time isn't here. What you should do is accept Jesus' model of reality. There's not going to be purity. So stop getting mad about the world not being pure. Adjust and act accordingly. Wrong way number one, to rage against the world. And you follow people who do this. You just need to think about if they fit this category. And you might say, well, that's not true because so-and-so does. Do they really? Are they really positive or is their whole vibe anger and outrage? What is the vibe of the people you follow, the Christian influencers you follow? Think about it. That's why I'm not going to name names. I would, but then no one would listen to anything I said because they'd be angry at me. So do you just think about it. Rage against the world, wrong way number one. Wrong way number two, hating people who are not Christians. You know, the weeds are not native to the field. The evil one had to come and sow them all over the place. They don't belong in the field. Satan sowed them there. Why do you think Jesus is delaying coming? Why doesn't Jesus just come back and fix everything now? There are people he still plans to rescue. There are people he still plans to liberate from Satan. There's people he still plans to save. And he's not done saving yet. That's why he ain't come back yet. But yet, all of these are variations on the same theme. There's slightly different facets of the same diamond. Hating people in this world so much because they're not pure. You see this in, there's a conservative Christian news magazine, and their opinion section is full of arguments against the liberals and the progressives. And, and um, the fundraising letter I received in the mail the other day said, we're in a war. The, secular, the secularists are destroying this country, and there's no love. You know, you're supposed to be reaching these people who you seem to hate a lot. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And why are they mad? They're mad because they're operating with a fake model. Things should be pure. They're not pure. It's outrageous, and I'm mad. But the model that Jesus gave us in the parable is the world is a mixed bag. We should accept that and work accordingly instead of wishing reality were different than it actually is. Who put the weeds in the field? Satan put the weeds in the field. He's the enemy. How can you reach people for Christianity if the entire ethos, the entire vibe of your church and your ministry is that 
you hate people who aren't Christians. What do the folks who you follow, the teachers, the popular teachers you watch on YouTube and whose magazines you get, what, what, what do they model? Do they model understanding the reality as Jesus said and acting accordingly, or are they angry because the world isn't pure? Are they angry because transgenderism exists? Are they angry? What did Jesus want us to, what, what model did Jesus teach us? You can be angry because reality isn't what you want it to be, or you can choose to show love and compassion and tell people the good news so that Jesus can change them into his image instead of the image they made for themselves. But you're only going to do that if you operate according to the rules of the game that Jesus gave us in that parable. Why are there weeds? Let's go rip them all up. No. No. You'll just ruin everything if you do that. Leave it. Harvest will come, and they'll know how to sort at that time. Leave it. The world will continue to be a mixed bag. Wrong way number two, hating the lost. Wrong way number three, being a self-righteous fixer. Jesus says there's going to be a harvest and everything's going to be fixed, right? He said it. So we don't need to worry about trying to purify everything in this world, trying to purify the world, because Jesus will take care of that when he comes back. So if we're anxious to fix this world, to fix it, purity is never going to happen. Jesus said that. that the, world will, the, the weeds will continue to be there. And you can either accept it or you can be miserable. This... America will never be a Christian nation, whatever that is supposed to mean. It's never going to happen. Never. So give up. Give up and focus on telling people the gospel and living your faith so maybe they can join your family too. Jesus' family. Bad things will continue to happen. Bad people will still continue to make bad policy. And some good people will make some good policy too. And the way you can spot a self-righteous fixer is they're angry because they're working with a model that's not based in reality, and they're angry, and they use rhetoric like, we need to fight now. We need to take our country back. And I don't care if, we got, if I'm going to go to jail. We have to stand up for what's right. No one's threatening to send you to jail, but it sounds good for a soundbite. Uh, that's how you can spot where someone has a wrong view of reality. The self-righteous fixer. We need to fix America. We need to fix this country. We need to take back this country. Any rhetoric like that and other things I could throw in there, you're dealing with someone who has a wrong understanding of reality. Jesus' parable tells us the right way to see reality. The justice will come at the end of the present age, and we won't be the harvesters. We won't. There's lots of Christians out there, Christian leaders who have ministries about teaching people about how to combat air and everything. They're going to have nothing to do with anything. We're not the harvesters. The angels are the harvesters. Our job is to be about the gospel, about Jesus and his community. And we're supposed to leave the justice to Jesus. So, what should you do? What, what should you do about this? Look at your magazines, look at your podcasts, look at your social media and the Christian influencers in your life and the teachers you trust, do they model some or all of these wrong ways? And think very honestly, like very honestly, do they model some or all of these wrong ways? If a Christian leader models anger and outrage, Christian values are under siege, he's a fool. 
If a Christian leader you follow, follow models hate, where he hates liberals, he hates progressives, he hates Democrats, he hates Hillary, he hates, every, he hates people who are not Christians, they never say it like that, but the vibe you get is, do you like anyone except Christians? If you follow someone like that, person's a fool. If you follow someone who's a right, who wants to be a righteous fixer, we, need to, we have to fight, we have to fix this country, we have to take, the person's a fool. I don't say that to be cruel. I mean it is the opposite of wisdom. Why do I say this? They're foolish because they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand his model for reality, which is what that parable shows us. That means they don't understand the rules of how we're supposed to play this game until he comes back, which means they lack wisdom. They might be very smart. They might be very educated, but they lack wisdom. They're not wise, which means they're fools. They're not reliable guides for you. They're not reliable guides for you because they're only going to make you like them, frustrated, miserable, and unhappy because their entire ethos is to be frustrated and miserable and unhappy. They have no peace, which is very ironic since Jesus came to bring us peace. Jesus didn't come so we could be angry at the way reality is, so we could become professional victims and angry at the liberals, angry at the progressives, angry at Hillary, angry at, at AOC, angry at whoever, just angry at Nancy Pelosi, insert whatever you want. Jesus didn't call us to be Christians so we could become angry at reality. He told us reality is it's a mess. The field's a mess. Should we, let's go out and fix it. You're not going to fix it. Spread good seeds so more people will be there when the harvest ends who are going to be in Jesus' family. That's our job. Not to fix a field that Jesus said couldn't be fixed. In that song, On Jordan's Stormy Banks, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand and Cast a Wishful Eye, are they looking behind at the wilderness and wondering why the wilderness isn't a nice place? Or are they looking forward to the promised land on the other side of the river? Which one are they doing? They're looking forward. They're not saying, this wilderness sucks. We need to fix it. Of course the wilderness sucks. That's not your home. You're looking forward across the river. So why would you follow a Christian leader who's just angry because the wilderness isn't a nice place? Of course not. Jesus told us that. What should you do? I want to beg with you. I want to plead with you. I know you trust many of these people. I know they've been very special in your life, and I'm sure many of them are very wonderful people. What I am begging you to do, what should I do with this parable so it's not just something rattling around in your mind? Dump those people from your life. If you follow people who model a wrong way of understanding the church and its relationship to the world, and they're angry because they want to work with a reality that ain't never going to happen, you need to get rid of them. All they're going to do is poison you and make you angry. You need to dump them from your life. If they rage against the world, dump them. If they hate people who are not Christians, dump them. If they want to be righteous avengers to fix America for Jesus, dump them. Cable news pundits who aren't Christians who say the same basic thing without using Christian vocabulary, you should get rid of them. Free yourself to live a life of peace according to the reality that Jesus showed us in this parable. The field is a mess. Accept it. Don't get mad about it. It is what it is. So accept it and recalibrate your expectations and what you do to know that that's just the way it's going to be until harvest time.
Embrace reality as it is, not as you want it to be. You can't remake the rules of the game. So you've got to work with reality and act accordingly. Do you want the righteous to shine like the sun in, Jesus, in his Father's kingdom? I do. We've got to wait. Because it's never going to happen now. So, just like with telework, you have two options. One, you can get very frustrated because you don't like the rules of this game of life. You can be angry, you can be bitter, and have no peace, which is very paradoxical for a child of Jesus. Or, option two, you can show and tell the world about Jesus and the good news that he's offering, that whoever you are, if you come to Jesus and tell him you're sorry for your crimes and your sins, he'll accept you and fold you into his arms and accept you into his family, and he'll be a perfect savior. That's the message we're there to tell people. We're not there to fix America. We're not there to get angry about insert whoever here. We need to do our job and trust that the farmer will sow more good seed the more we worry about our end to tell people the good news. Don't worry about God's end. Don't worry about when the harvest is. The harvest will come, and it'll be good, and it'll be perfect. And it'll all the, everyone, everyone will be put into the right category. That's not our job. Our job is to spread the good news, to show and tell the Jesus story to the world around us, and invite people to join that family. But those wrong ways are very wrong. And Jesus' parable shows us we need to get rid of those things and focus on reality as it is. Be about the gospel, Jesus, in his story. Be about that story and not a reality that you can't fix and can't change. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to be discerning about who we follow, about who we allow to influence us. Help us to be people characterized by peace and joy, not frustration, not anger, not bitterness about a world we can't change that we'll never be able to change, but help us to focus on the news, the good news you've given us to share, and to be people of joy and peace and love, because we belong to you and your Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to be about that message, not about any wrong and misguided way that we'd like reality to be, but that it isn't. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.